Welcome. If this is your first time, uh, my name is David. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Ruben over here uh, is our co-pastor. He's going to be teaching in the second service uh, in Spanish. Um, he also speaks pretty good English, too, uh, so you're welcome to come <laughs> talk to him. Um, boy, God has called us as a church, uh, as Hope Church. He gave us that name uh, early on in the formation of this body, um, and we got to see how the meaning of that came to be as a church where we have multiple languages, we have multiple cultures, um, but we really focus in on the fact that we have one hope in Jesus Christ. And uh, that's, that's been a reality here, and it's been an incredible uh, journey, um, just praising the Lord for what He's doing in this body. So this morning, um, we're continuing our journey through Philippians. I might get used to having something hold my Bible. We're, we're continuing our journey through Philippians, and the title this morning is Be Humble. Be humble. Have you ever told someone you need to be more humble? Has someone told you you need to be more humble? How, how do we take that? What, what kind of response in, in the very bottom of our belly starts to turn when someone tells you you need to be more humble? Well, who are you to say that? I'm more humble than you. In fact, I'm the humblest. Humility is one of those awkward uh, virtues that in the moment that you declare that you have it, you are displaying something otherwise. Be humble. You know that, that angst, that, that, that something that, that makes us kind of turn a little and want to defend where we're at if, if I was to be told in one way or just me telling you, you need to be more humble. There's something to that. There, there, there's a reason why we respond in that way deep down in ourselves when we're told to be more humble. So this morning, um, we're going to look into why. Why is humility a good thing? I mean, we, we kind of value that as a virtue, but do we really value that as something important in our lives? Humility. You know, because I really do think maybe that I should be proud of who I am. I should stand up for myself. I should, in, in the workplace, I, I need to defend myself. I, I need to be the one to, to stand on, on who I am. And, and that is really the message and, and experience that we have in the world, is this necessity to, to really invest in myself and to be all that I can be and to believe in myself and to make something of myself. And then, and then at the end of the day, when I've accomplished great things and I've made something great of myself, to have that token flavor of humility, to, to say, to, to be gracious in how I speak of myself, but still kind of glowing in, in what is what I have made of myself. So to what extent do we really value humility? And, and is that something that you really value as something critically important in your life. Well, what we're going to look at this morning is reason to value humility. Not just value it, but to see how it is. It is absolutely essential for us to live as God wants us to live, as His body, to His purpose, that we have deep-set humility. 
So we're in Philippians, we're, we're starting into chapter 2. Read with me, starting in verse 1. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was, born, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord the glory of God the Father. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for your word. God, in your word, I find clarity. In a world that's just tossed and turned with one truth or one idea and another, and what is hard and fast truth, God, is so hard to grasp in the world around us. When I go to your word, I have this solid foundation of truth, because God, you have defined what is true. You created us. And God, thank you for your Holy Spirit that as we open your word, speaks to our hearts the truth that you have for us as you're working on us. So God, I pray in my own heart this morning that you would work humility, that you would work in my heart a desire for what you have for me, God, Holy Spirit, speak to us from your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so he says in verse 1, so if, starting verse 1, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Why is humility so important? Why, following this, is he going to make this call to humility found in the example of Jesus Christ? Why humility? Well, the why is, is unity. Why, why it's so important that, that we have humility and self-sacrifice is unity. That is the why. See, in, in the... The church in Philippi, Paul's writing this letter from prison in Rome to this church in Philippi that he loves. And you get that throughout this book, is how much his love is there for the, this body of believers in Philippi. But, but there's this underlying reason. There's multiple reasons Paul wrote this letter. But, but one of them we find is that there is an issue of disunity in the Philippian church. And, and we see that uh, later, if we skip ahead a little bit into chapter 4. We'll see there in verse 2, Paul says, I entreat 
Yodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. There are these two ladies there. He doesn't go into any more detail. Does he need to? I can tell you, if I was there in the Philippian church and Paul called out my name in this letter that was going to be read in front of the church, that, that would be enough right there to, get, to, to make me wake up and see. If I, was, if I was from here, and I won't do this, <laughs> if I was in here to say, you know, you and you, you, you need to get things together and get things right. You know, maybe if I was writing a letter from far off in prison and I'd heard, you know, perhaps he heard this uh, from uh, Epaphroditus, who, who they had sent out there, that, that there was this issue of these two ladies that, that were in disagreement with each other. But, but you can see this thread throughout Philippians of, of Paul's just petitioning them to have their heart in the right place, to have their focus in the right place, to be unified in God's purpose, in God's heart. And so there is a call to unity throughout the book of Philippians. And, and we see it here in chapter 2. But, but well, we've seen it, really, it's been there since the beginning. If, if we look at what Paul has covered so far, think of what, what we've what we've covered from the, from the beginning. He said, partners together in the gospel from the first day into now, I hold you in my heart. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. His desire that their love would abound more and more for each other. And, and when he's talking about the adversity that's around him and, the, and, and also the adversity that they have, but specifically what he has there in Rome, he's drawing their attention to what God is doing, reason to glory in Christ, reason to rejoice. So look, he's, he's saying, look, take your attention and look to what God is doing. Look what Christ is doing. And, and, and then we, we did see, in, in that reason to rejoice, he's had this expectation in the future that there is going to be more reason to rejoice, and I see that my coming to you ultimately, when I am going to be released from prison and come to you, that that will be reason to rejoice, and it will be added to your reason to glory in Christ, that your focus would be on what God is doing, and to glory in Him, that you would have ample reason to glory in Christ. See how this all builds in, in, in part to, to an argument, to a petition to say, there is reason for you to be unified, to put down your differences. And he calls them then, we saw last week, to live uh, in a manner. And, and we saw that word, it meant uh, as citizens, not just, uh, not just of uh, their position there in Philippi, but, but now as citizens of heaven, uh, together, living in a manner worthy of Christ Jesus. He says, standing together, uh, striving together side by side for the faith of the gospel. It was calling them to that. And so now we get to chapter 2, and you've got Paul's appeal to every reason that they have to take their eyes off of their differences here and to be standing in unity. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ... That's the reason to glory, ample reason to glory in Christ. Are you seeing what, what God is doing and, and this, this life that we have in the body of Christ? If there's any reason 
uh, any encouragement in Christ that you have. He's appealing to what is there. They have that. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, what is that love? That, that, that's a John 15 kind of a love. That's, uh, if, if you're not familiar with that chapter, go read it. It's, it's, it's an incredible chapter. John 15, when it's talking about abiding in Christ, and Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, now I have loved you. Abide in my love. And then we find out in there what it means to abide in his love is to walk in obedience to his commandment. And his commandment is that we love each other with the same love that he has loved us. He laid down his life for us, and now he says, this is how you're going to abide in my love. I want you to, to lay down your life for each other. So he's saying, if, if there's any comfort from love that you have experienced, love of God towards you, love of God through the body of Christ towards you, there's any participation in the Spirit, the Spirit of God that works in us, that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we experience something completely new because the Spirit of God is beginning a new work in us. And it's the Spirit of God that, that works in us to a purpose to make us like Christ, that, that takes people from all over the place that are completely different in background, in, in, in what their life or uh, direction is, and, and he, he guides us into one purpose, to be like Christ, to follow Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit that works in and through us. So, so has there been any participation in the Spirit? Is this a reality in, in your experience in the church? Any affection and sympathy? That word for affection is, is the same word that Paul uses um, Earlier in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Have you experienced that? The affection of God towards you. The affection of brothers and sisters in Christ. Have you experienced that? Is it real? He's appealing to all of these things. Has there been any affection and sympathy? <clears throat> if any of these are real, then complete my joy. By being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And take my request. Let your answer to my request be yes. Verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. The Greek word for mind there could be translated to think, but it's, but it's not so much... Uh, in a sense of kind of unreasoning opinion or, or you know, all having the exact same ideas about things. No, it, it's a deep, uh, heartfelt mindset. It, it has to do with your desire and, and what you long for. It, um, it's, a, it's a oneness of motivation. What, what motivates me? What, what, what are my attitudes? It, it's a oneness of the will of our purpose and what we're headed towards. That, that, that's what that, that word uh, brings. It, it's the same word that Paul uses in Colossians 3, 2, when he says, set your mind, same word, mind, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And so that, that's a unity that he wants. He wants us to have the same mind, that, that the direction that everything that we desire and want it is all together and the same. It's a deep, 
deep-set conviction that we share. And it, just like in, in chapter 1, it says, Stri or, yes, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The faith of the gospel. So those, those truths that we confess to be true in Christ Jesus, which are, are greater truths than any, any truth on this, on this human plane about me, about you, about, about what's mine, about what's yours. Those truths about, about what my background is, about where I'm coming from, about where you're coming from. The truths that we have in Jesus Christ are so much greater than those. So much greater than the things that cause division and, and strife that, that cause so much angst in us. And, and this unity of spirit and mind that he's calling us to, it, it, it overpowers the tensions that we have because of those other differences. It suppresses those. And, and it, it's not a unity that's found by finding other people that think just like me and, and people that come from the same place that I do and so we don't have conflict. No. This is a unity that's brought on because of what we have in Jesus Christ and because of, of the truths, the faith that we confess in Jesus Christ is so much greater than what we have in our differences that it holds those in tension. puts us in a place where we're willing to lay down our lives to hold up our brothers and sisters with a deep-set loyalty for our brothers and sisters in Christ. You're coming from a different place. I don't understand you. We don't agree on, on how something should be done here or there or, or whatever it is. What is the difference that's causing tension well, that tension's going to be there, but there is something that we have in Christ that overpowers that. That we both have agreed to, to say this is what is most important. And it suppresses the tensions that we feel because of our differences. Be of the same mind, he says. Having the same love. This is that John 15 kind of love. A sacrificial love. That, that, that's what it is. To, to lay down my life. What are those things that I hold important because of, it, because of true, real things in my life? Uh, there's past hurts that I have. There's past experiences that I have. There's the way that I was brought up. There's, there's the things that when we get together are, are going to put me in a different place than you are. And so when we reach a topic of discussion, you know, we're not going to think exactly the same way. And so to have this love, so when, when we then take this love that Jesus has displayed towards us, and we all have the same love of Christ towards us, and we are all, all following the same calling to lay down our lives and to love each other with his love, there is unity in that. A unity that is greater than our differences. You have the same, having the same love, being in full accord. That's not a word we use a lot, and at least that I use a lot. Um, there's a Honda Accord. That's not what it's talking about. This is not, you know, create a clown car full of believers. 
being in full accord. What, what is that talking about? Literally in the Greek, it says being of one soul. Make sure I got that exactly right. To be of one soul. What is that? So it's not just about our thoughts and actions being on the same page. It's, it's, it's our emotion. It's a oneness of what we're rejoicing in. When we rejoice in the Lord, we're rejoicing together. What a great unifying thing when we get to experience together the hand of God doing something in our body or doing something through us or around us. There is joy in that and rejoicing in that. That is a unity of the soul. That's a unity of emotion that's caught up in Christ. Not in my individual pursuit here or your individual pursuit there, but the one pursuit that we have together in Christ. And, and it's, it's a unity of emotion. Being in full accord. And then he repeats, I think for emphasis, back to that same word and of one mind. Of the same mind of one mind. Deep set heart purpose of what we're doing and why we're doing it. So unity is a reason for humility. So the question for us, can we be a people humble enough, bold enough to take up what we already have in Christ? Tensions won't go away. Every church I've ever been in, there's tensions. It's because we're different. <laughs> and, and, and I've seen cases where those tensions have, have destroyed, but then God's grace still came in and, and did amazing things. I've also seen times where, where the, the truth here is being exercised, and you see where even in the midst of tensions, there is a unity because of just a determination for the purpose that we have that is so much greater than where those tensions are coming from. I've seen that too. Even in the history of Hope Church from the beginning, God has brought incredible unity to this church, but not for lack of tension. There's been plenty of tensions. As we're working out, God, how, what is the purpose of this church? Who's the pastor, the one pastor going to be in this church? You know, we, we thought we had to answer that question before we could do anything else. And God was going, no, I've got another plan for you. A plan that's going to be a path of fighting for unity. And yes, that sounds ironic, but you fight for unity. And that battle is waged most in your own heart to fight for unity. God's called us to be a church that speaks of, every week, of being unified in Him. It's not an easy path, necessarily. But it is the purpose that He has of the body, no matter what, to be unified in Christ. The tensions will always be there. But can we be a people that will stand for the thing that is so much greater than those tensions? I can tell you we've come this far in Hope Church because, praise the Lord, I've got to serve with, with men and women whose, whose desire of their heart is set in Jesus Christ, who do practice that purpose, 
that no matter what our differences, we hold together one purpose in Jesus Christ. And we have walked through that many times in this short history of Hope Church where we had to work through the tensions, but it was safe because we had this single purpose that was so much greater than the tensions. We all shared the same purpose in Jesus Christ. So how? How do we have that unity? We can't do it without humility. You can't can't do it without self-sacrifice. And that's what Paul's getting here now, is that in order to have this unity that he is asking for, if we continue in verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. We don't realize sometimes, I don't realize sometimes how much I just return back to elevating myself, my own ambition, my own purpose. Even if it's a purpose originally that God has called me to, somehow I've picked it up along the way and now it's my purpose. And, and, it's, and it's of greatest importance. And I'm somehow justifying that to hold it as my purpose, my ambition, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition. Nothing to make yourself great. Selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. This is the playbook on how we have unity. So if you're thinking, well, what if, what if I am more significant? This is Jesus saying, count yourself less. This is in his estimation of significance. Jesus, who shows no partiality, says, count others around you as more significant than yourselves. Then verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. How important that is. When we come together and we're in that moment of tension, um, which, which sometimes is almost comical because... Have you ever been in one of those cases where it, it just feels like an argument because you're trying to get them to understand what you're saying, and then they return with trying to get you to understand what they're saying, and you go back and forth, and you finally realize you're both saying the same thing. But that's actually not most often the case because really, in most cases, we are coming from a different place. And so my interests have to do with where I'm coming from. They have to do with what weighs most heavily on my heart, and that might be because of past experience. It might be because of past hurt. It might be because just of what I've known in my life this far is different than from what you've known, and so what I hold to be important is different than what you hold to be important. And so what God is telling us here is put yourself in their place. What are the interests? Do you understand their interests? Do you understand where that's coming from? Do you understand why they think that this thing is so important that you're going, why is that a thing? That's not important. And then you try to convince them of why that's not important. But instead, he's saying, I don't want you to convince them of why that's not important. I want you to consider their interests above your own. Put yourself in their seat. 
That's love. That's humility and self-sacrifice. If we're going to have unity, we have to exercise that. And what if you're saying, well, my interests are actually more important. Maybe I can go to the Bible and show that my interests are more important. If I, if I sat down with Jesus Christ in person, in bodily presence, sat down at a table with him, Right now, he's seated at, at the right hand of God, right? But, but if, I, if I was able to actually sit down with Christ, and he was to tell me, David, you're about to go into a conversation. And what I want you to do in that conversation is to stop talking about all of these reasons that you're bringing to that conversation. I want you to just ask questions and understand where they're coming from. You think I'd be motivated to practice that? I would be. But what we have right here is the Word of God, and we have the presence of the Spirit of God convicting us in our heart. It is equivalent to Jesus right here speaking to us in bodily presence to say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider their interests. That's not natural. That's not what comes naturally at all. So he gives us the go-to. Having this mind among yourselves, in verse 5, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Looking to Christ, who though he was in the form of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was there at the beginning of creation, all things were created through him, by him, for him. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, because he is God, a thing to be grasped. Jesus. But he emptied himself. Do we empty ourselves in practice? But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. The Son of God becoming a man, emptying himself. And being found in human form, he humbled himself even further. You realize that was humbling himself to become a man. This is God emptying himself to become a man. But then even further, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is the gospel. That's God's love for a world that does not deserve him, that has rejected him, that has sinned against him. The only thing we deserve from a just and holy God is eternal punishment. But God in his love sent his own son, Jesus, equal with God, who is God, to empty himself to become a man and to walk this life without sin, but tempted in, in every way that we are, feeling, feeling everything that we feel and yet without sin, and, and then to willingly go to the cross for us and lay down his life to, as a payment for our sin, a mission of rescue, a mission to save sinners, a, mi a mission to save the lost of which we are among so that through faith 
in Jesus Christ, his penalty on the cross would count for my sin. And I could become righteous and holy like him. Not a righteousness that I've earned, but a righteousness from God through faith in Jesus Christ. And have a new life because Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead. And as we'll see, is seated at the right hand of God. And in that, we have new life in him. That was his purpose. But you see how Christ humbled himself, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when I'm in that discussion, when I'm in that moment of tension, how do I bring about a heart of humility? Here's the first reason how. I look to the cross. I look to the cross. So then every reason I have, what if I'm in the right? I actually am in the right, and I can, I can prove it. <laughs> Who is more in the right than the Son of God? He didn't stray from his purpose. What if I'm being treated unfairly, unjustly? Who was treated more unfairly, more unjustly than the Son of God when he went to the cross? Maybe I actually have the power to retaliate and to put that person in their place because they really have no right to speak. Maybe they, they really don't know what they're talking about, and I can in a moment show that so clearly. Who had more power? to retaliate than the Son of God as he's there being accused for my sin. The one who can create something out of nothing. The one who knew every hair on the head of everyone there. He had the power to, to just overcome it all. And yet he stayed on course to the purpose that the Father had for him. Never wavering from that purpose. A purpose to love. A purpose to save. A purpose to invade the enemy's territory, enemy strongholds, to save those who are dead in their sin. To make them alive in Christ. That purpose didn't end when Jesus went to be with the Father. That purpose continues in us. And it's in our unity standing firm, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel that we continue the purpose that Christ had of love, of saving sinners, of invading the enemy's territory and, and strongholds of darkness to save those who are lost in sin. And so you see, as we look to the cross, our own differences and tensions lose significance. And we have the example in Christ to follow. <clears throat> Continuing in verse 9 then. Jesus died on the cross, but that was not the end. In verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. 
so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you realize there's going to be a day when everyone, heaven and earth, everyone, there will not be a person who doesn't bow their knee to Jesus Christ as Lord. We talk about reason to glory in Christ. There, there is a future hope that we have as we're going through this struggle right now in obedience following Christ that we know that there will be a day when his name is fully known. And there won't be a single knee. That, that, that's in every power of darkness, everything that we, that we fight against, in every person who, who just is adamantly against God, against Jesus, every person that we know in the, in the course of history, every person will be bowing their knee to Jesus Christ. Where does that put my own things I'm holding on to that are causing tension and disunity? They're insignificant. What a glory and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And that is the second how. How do I have that humility, that, that, that unity? It's the glory in Christ. Is that what I'm meditating on, is, is what God is doing? Am I looking around and seeing what God is doing around me, and am I finding reason to rejoice in that? Because when my focus gets off of that, and it gets on just the things that are, that are around me and, and the struggles, and, and boy, I had a tough day at work, and then I bring that home to my wife, and, and that's all my focus is right, right there in this horizontal plane of the world that we live in. I'm not going to be in a place to lay my life down for those around me. But if my focus is on Jesus, my focus is on seeing, wow, uh, look how, how harsh today was. Every plan that I made just got interrupted and nothing went the way that I wanted it to. But look how God is using that for his glory. And I find reason to rejoice in that. Then now I'm in a place where my focus is in the right place. And I'm, I'm in a much better place to lay down my own life for those around me. The glory in Christ. Am I caught up in the work that God is doing? Am I seeing what he is doing around me? I, I can tell you um, in past history, I, I, I've been through a church that went through a spit, split. That, that, that was very difficult. Actually, a couple of churches that went through division. And in the, in the second time that that happened, I was a little bit older, and I was encouraged by the study from, from uh, Blackaby, who, who encourages you to say, look at what God is doing around you and become a part of it. And even in the midst of a church going through a rift, I could see God working in individuals. And it, and it was terrible to have that division, division is not God's purpose. That, that should be clear this morning. Division is not God's purpose. His purpose is unity. But even in the midst uh, of people who really don't have their focus up here, 
But the focus is here, and, and, and every tension has grown to the point of, of not being able to hold on to a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, and now a rift happens in that relationship. Even in that, I could see God working. God working through the pieces, caring for his children, even in the midst uh, of that anguish, caring for them. There was reason to rejoice. Only if only more of us at that time had our focus on the reasons to rejoice, perhaps it wouldn't have gone as hard. We need to glory in Christ. Um, our last study, we went through Ephesians. If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, we've, we've also seen this, this motivation that we have to unity. In chapter 5, starting in verse 19, he's talking about being filled with the Spirit. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's your focus, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. That's how we have unity. That's how, we, that's how we have that humility and self-sacrifice is because our focus is on glorying in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And out of reverence for Christ, then I'm able to submit in the power of the Holy Spirit to my brothers and sisters and to lift them up, lay my own life down. All right, the final how. How do we do this? I'm going to dip a little into next week's passage. Um, but but the, the way how is to trust and obey. If you look in Philippians chapter 2, continuing in verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When I'm in that moment and I'm feeling like I've got every right, I'm in the right, I, I'm, you know, I've got every reason to argue for, for my position and, and to impose my thoughts on everyone else. For me to lay that down requires that I trust God with it. It is God who is working. We can trust him. And so it's in faith that we say, okay, I really think this should be done this way. I really think that, that it should go this way. But then what is Jesus telling me? What you need to worry about most, David, what you need to worry about most is unity. That's my purpose for you. And it's in unity then that you are going to be able to accomplish the work that I have for you. It's not going to be on your own with your ideas and your way. You're going to trust me, trust God that it will get done to his glory and have fruit in his power 
be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be unified in his purpose. You know, we display unity when we, when we worship. What is worship? Is it just when we sing? It's not just when we sing. We've been worshiping the Lord together as we've opened his word and declared his truth. That, that's worship. When you're in that moment of, of conflict and you choose to obey God and to lay down your own self and to lift up your brother or sister, when you, when you step away from your own interest to look and try to understand where they're coming from, you're saying, God, your ways are worth more than my ways. That's worship. When you trust God, that he is the one who's going to accomplish what's before you. That's worship. I love when we sing together, which is worship, because in a unique way, we, we're all speaking exactly the same thing. And that's where God is, he wants to bring us, is to all be speaking the same thing, which is the faith of the gospel, the things that we confess to be true, the things that we desire together deep within our heart. He wants us to be unified in him. For us to be unified, we have to have humility and self-sacrifice. Is that a practice in your life? Is that something you hold as important? Something certainly that we all need to grow in. In, in a topic like this, it's easy to go straight to, boy, I can think of somebody who really needs to hear this. No, the nature of this topic is that there's always just one person that needs to hear it. It's myself. As I'm preparing to preach this, it's myself. I hope God speaks to your heart. It's not for me to tell you to be humble. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, to do that in our heart. So as we sing, let's just confess our need for Jesus. We're going to sing, all I want is you, all I need is you. Let's sing that from the heart together in unity. God, in those words, there's hope because we know that there is going to be a day when we'll be at your feet, God, in your presence. And we can cast our crowns at your feet and declare your holiness. God, set our minds on you. So much that, that we get caught up in, in the day-to-day, -day, in the world that's around us, whether it's, it's a thing at work or a thing with our kids or a thing in the home or or in ministry, or whatever it is, God, we have so many things that we get caught up in and lose our focus on the one thing that matters, the life that we have in you, and the purpose that we have in you, and your hand that's actively at work in us and through us and around us. God, give us eyes to see your glory. There's so much for us to be thankful for, so much for us to find reason to rejoice and to glory in you. God, that's the life that I want to live. That's the life that we want to live together as a church, unified in you. I pray that you would work that in us.
God, we love you and we praise you, Lord Jesus. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.